0: This is Hilary Johnson from the Australasian Society for Intellectual Disability. Today we have a podcast from Dr Lisa Hamilton from La Trobe University. She will be talking to you about her recent PhD looking at people with an intellectual disability
1: and their group home. I'll be talking today about the findings from my PhD study which was an ethnographic study, which was looking at a group home for a group of people with intellectual disability called Lake House. So we'll be talking a little bit about that. But I was really interested in looking at this concept of home and what does home mean for people who live in a group home in particular. So home is a really abstract concept. It's really difficult to define. It's a shared aspect of our humanity, but we all come with different meanings and different ideas of what home means. The social and relational elements of home are crucial and Georgie et al describe home as a place, a space, a set of feelings, customs, meanings, experiences or representations. So this notion of home is very individual and it's also very complex and there's been a lot of research done in the literature around meanings of home. However, when we look at home for people with intellectual disability, there's an immediate disparity in the literature. So home for people with intellectual disability is predominantly explored through the service system. It's very service centric, and it's explored as a service model. And the dominant model of accommodation and support for people with intellectual disability is the group home, the group home model. And group homes have emerged from an institutional history which is the legacy that still influences us today. Chris Bigby, in a recent presentation, mentioned that in Australia in 2017, there are approximately 17,000 people who are living in group homes. And most of the people who are living in group homes have an intellectual disability. And over time, the group home model may change, but at this moment in time, it remains the dominant model of accommodation and support. So I was really interested in the experiences of people with intellectual disability who live in the group home. And what does that mean? There's a paucity of knowledge around home from the perspectives of people who live in group homes. And part of the reason for that is that the way that we measure quality outcomes in group homes is inaccessible for people with intellectual disability. It's often measured through quality standards or in particular ways like uh, interviews, verbal interviews, which might be inaccessible for people with more severe or profound intellectual disability. So what we also know is that outcomes, or what life is like in a group home, is often reported by third party or proxy respondents. So people who um, speak for or speak on behalf of a person with an intellectual disability. And I argued in my research that this approach is inadequate and that we need to develop more accessible methods that can support people with intellectual disability to have a say and to share their voice. So I embarked on my ethnographic study and ethnography is a way of studying culture and looking at culture. So I looked at the group home, not from a service perspective or from measuring quality in more quantitative ways, I really looked at it as a culture. And I wanted to find out what the cultural experiences of the six housemates who live at Lake House, what their experiences of home were. Um, So ethnography is characterised by prolonged immersion in the field um, and ethnography involves all of the senses. So it really involves um, me standing beside the housemates in Lake House so if Bella was doing the dishes then I'd be drawing the dishes and we'd be having conversations around home and I was collecting data that way. We used together a lot of visual methods to find out what home is like. So we used scrapbooking, we used photographs, we used drawing. We had a lot of ethnographic conversations and so I spent 18 months at Lakehouse really observing, really talking to the housemates. Um, So we might just be sitting on the couch together on a Sunday night (laughs) watching DVDs. And so those sorts of methods of data collection gave me a really in-depth and rich insight into what life is like for the housemates and how they experience group home life. There's a lot of rules and regulations within Lake House, and the housemates really work within these rules and regulations. And I've got a quote here from Josh, who was one of the newest housemates to Lake House. And when Josh moved in, he and his mum went and had a look at Lake House and and this is what he said. When mum and I first checked out Lake House, I didn't think I'd have enough room for all my stuff. You know, my car collection, posters, photos, clothes, and things mum brought me back from her holidays. The supervisor at Lake House told me, you won't need all that here, Josh. Leave it all behind. This is your new life. We have everything here that you need. So we found that home at Lake House became a very insular type of environment for the housemates. So Josh would talk about his real home as being at home with his mum, and Bella, one of the other housemates, would talk about home and then her other home. So this notion of home was not necessarily just related to Lake House. It was where people felt they belonged So Lake House has, like a lot of group homes, has a lot of signs and symbols. So there's an example uh, in the kitchen where you've got the orange pipes of the fire sprinkler, you've got evacuation procedures. Stuck onto the fridge are a lot of written instructions, instructions to remind the housemates to take meat out of the freezer, to defrost it for the evening meal, or to check the use by date on the milk. And all of those instructions are inaccessible to the housemates who can't read the signs, but yet these signs proliferate and they're really part of the physical and material culture at Lake House. On one hand, you've got this message that this is your home, the housemates, you live here, and then you have all of these signs that are written by the staff and organisational signs and material that are around the house. So, from a visual point of view, you're already getting a conflictual message. So, is this a genuine home or is this a workplace? All of the shared spaces within Lake House are uniform. So, the kitchen and dining area downstairs at Lake House is identical to the kitchen and dining area upstairs at Lake House. And this uniformity comes about from What the organisation says is a sense of fairness. So it would be unfair if Andrew had his personal belongings in the shared space. That would be unfair to the other people. So a way of addressing this perceived inequity is to make sure that there's nothing, there's no personalisation of the shared spaces. So bathrooms, the lounge rooms, the kitchen and the dining area, the laundry, all of those shared spaces, including the outdoor areas, are all depersonalised. And they look very institutional so even though you might have a fridge and a microwave (laughs) a dining table things that you might find in our own homes lake house looks very different and it's regulated very differently so bella for example loves to do her housework she really enjoys housework but she's only allowed or permitted to do housework on saturdays (laughs) so saturdays is her day for mopping and for doing housework downstairs And so you get a sense that cooking is regulated through a roster. There's rules and regulations around just about every aspect of life. So Andrew's designated day for washing is Saturday morning. Um, If he wanted to do his washing on Wednesday night, then he wouldn't be permitted to do that. So you find out from the housemates how their lives are really regulated and structured according to these, these staff routines. At Lake House, there's also a really pervasive sense of fear. And the housemates talked a lot about being worried about getting into trouble. So we had an example one day where Bella had been mopping the bathroom downstairs and the mop had broken. So she came out to the other housemates and I, and she was really upset about the broken mop. And so we were thinking, well, what can we do? around this. Now if you or I broke a mop at our home, it would be inconsequential, we wouldn't really worry about it. But at Lake House there was a real trepidation and a sense of fear around the broken mop. So the housemates worked together and Josh suggested that why don't we chuck the mop over the fence. So they chucked the mop over the neighbour's fence but at the back of Lake House there's a row of four mops and with this broken mop it left a gap there in this uniform, neat array. So there was also the problem that now there were three mops and there was this vacant space, but there were also four buckets. And the four buckets was a symbol that there was something not quite right. So when the supervisor came on, the housemates knew that they would identify that and say that there's something not quite right. So the housemates banded together and chucked the mop and the bucket over the neighbour's fence. And it's these types of Negotiations that the housemates do on a regular basis um, to avoid getting into trouble. And this notion of getting into trouble for some of the housemates is a legacy that they've had from other group homes that they've lived in. And for other housemates who, like Josh, who've, who've recently joined Lake House, they soon come to understand that this is the culture at Lake House. So we have to behave in a way that the supervisors expect, we have to be very compliant. We can't change the rosters, we can't change the rules and regulations and so the housemates work within within these constraints. One of the other ways that the housemates and I worked together to really look at, at home is we took lots of photographs and these photographs were really terrific ways of capturing aspects of Lake House and so the housemates were always the ones behind the camera so they were the ones choosing which photographs to take and then we would chat and we would talk about it. So what does this photograph mean to you? And using visual methods was a really good way of working together to find out more about home. So if I had have used uh, interview as, as a method for data collection, for example, it would have really been an inaccessible method for the housemates at Lake House. So together we needed to work together and find different ways of finding what, out what home means to the housemates. So the findings from my PhD about what home means to the housemates who live at Lake House, they said that home is about meaningful relationships. So it's about the quality of the relationships that they have with the other people that they live with and also with the supervisors. It's about having somewhere where you belong. So somewhere to come home to was really important. The housemates talked about home being a sanctuary from the outside world, about having choice, about having autonomy and about self-expression. So all of those elements of home or meanings of home that the housemates identified are exactly the same as as what's been identified in the literature for people without an intellectual disability. We can see from the examples how home is experienced very differently. So self-expression, for example, is limited to an individual's bedroom. So in the bedroom, people can put up posters or put up Um, pictures or display photographs so they can have self-expression and choice within their bedroom but that choice is limited so they can't have any of that in in the shared areas for example. So the ways in which the housemates construct home and what home means for them looks a little different in the group home. So the findings from my PhD study really challenge this notion in the literature on home which really romanticises home as a perfect space or a sanctuary, an ideal space. And so what I found through my experiences with the housemates at Lake House is that home is experienced at the same time as both positive and negative. It's neither one nor the other in its entirety. The housemates of Lake House illustrated ways that they create home within this non-home environment within which they live. And they demonstrated a sense of camaraderie, creativity, and tenacity in their homemaking, which at times often conflicted with the rules and regulations of the group home. So when we're thinking about group homes and group homes being the dominant model of contemporary accommodation and support for people with intellectual disability, there's no doubt that group homes, that people with intellectual disability who live in group homes experience better outcomes and a better quality of life than when people lived in institutions. However, comparing group homes to institutions is inadequate. So we need to think of other ways of quality, measuring quality or thinking about is this a good group home, or is this a good place to live? So there are other models of accommodation and support, such as cluster housing or shared supported accommodation, and these models are really worth considering. but for the short to medium term, future at least, group homes will be the dominant, will remain the dominant model of accommodation and support. What we also know is that there continues to be a real lack of knowledge about what group home life is like from the perspectives of people with intellectual disability. So the findings from my study argue that group homes should be conceptualised as genuine homes, first and foremost, and that we should steer away from only considering group homes from a service-centric perspective. So this, however, poses some significant challenges, particularly with the National Disability Insurance Scheme, where home is conceptualised within the scheme as housing and support. And the question arises then, like how can home and how can a genuine home be purchased? What my findings also strongly recommend and what the housemates really wanted everyone to know as a take home message is that people with intellectual disabilities need to be included in future research on home and particularly future research on group homes as well and that the current methods of measuring quality need to be made accessible to people with an intellectual disability. So those of us who are working within group homes or researching within group homes, we need to change the way that we ask the questions. And visual methods offer opportunities for inclusive research, so there's some real potential there. But what I've found within Lakehouse is that given the right approach, given the time, the housemates had lots lots to say so we often talk about giving people with intellectual disability a voice but i found that the people with intellectual disability the housemates living at lake house already had a voice they had a really strong voice but the question that that remains is who will listen
0: thanks for tuning in today I know you'll look forward to our next podcast, which is also on a similar subject, people in group homes. If you'd like to know more about the Australasian Society for Intellectual Disability, please follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Or you can go to our website on www.acid.asn.au. Thank you to the producers, Sophia Tipping and Buffy Gorilla. See you soon.